So I'd made this statement. Thanks, guys, for taking care of this, too. I'd made this statement two weeks ago on July 12th. And um, here's what I said. If I could learn how to dive into the well of the Spirit within me, if I could learn how to dive into the well of the Spirit within me, I could then have the mind of Christ in every situation, and I could rediscover what life was like in Eden. It's a profound statement, man. I said, if I could learn how to dive into the well of the Spirit within me, if I could dive into the well of the Spirit within me, then I would have the mind of Christ in every situation, and I could rediscover Eden life. Liji had been pestering me through the week saying, so how does that work? How does that work? How does that work? So finally we can talk about it. So the answer lies in Galatians chapter 5, and uh, that's what we'll begin at today. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.18 says, be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 25 says, live by the Spirit. And so we'll talk about walk by today, and then we'll explore the rest over the next couple of weeks. What is the intent? The intent is because the Spirit of God lives in me. Think of a land in which there is this well full of the fountain of life. And you have the ability whenever you want to dive into it and you would know the mind of God. You would discover what Eden life was supposed to be like. It's not rediscovering Eden. It is discovering what life in Eden should have been like, could have been like, would have been like. How do you live like an unfallen Adam in a fallen world? How do you live like an unfallen Adam in a fallen world? And so we start with this idea in Galatians 5.16 of walk by the Spirit. The word walk, uh, we take it as just physical activity, which I don't engage in much, but that is because walk means much more. Walk is in the Bible used to express the character of a person, used to express the character of a person. That's where you get this whole idea of walk the talk, walk. Um, where, where it's uh, some, uh, in in some versions it says, and they marvelled because when they saw the disciples, because they knew that these disciples had spent time with him or walked with him. It also means commune, to commune, communing with someone is to walk with someone. And so you hear things about Enoch where he walked with God. And so when we are told to walk by the Spirit, the idea is, hey, have your character transformed by the Spirit. Begin to commune with the Spirit. We'll expand on that a little more. But I want you to understand that walk by the Spirit is not just an action. It is much deeper than that, where you begin to express the character of a person in your walk. It's fascinating how the blind man, um, um, no, not, the, uh, was it the blind man? Yeah. The blind man who was healed in John chapter 9, uh, how did they know that something had changed in his life? His walk. Here was a blind man who initially couldn't walk. Once you begin to see your walk, changes. We, uh, um, I just thought of that suddenly. Don't, don't worry about that. You can um, pay less attention to that. In Luke 24, 15, you find Jesus actually turning up and walking with the two disciples who were on the way to Emmaus. And it says, and suddenly Jesus came and walked alongside them. And his question to them is, um, what are you walking and talking about? That's his question to them. It was this idea of communing. These two words Communing and expressing the character of a person are important for us to understand when we talk about walking by the Spirit. Let's take the word by. It's not that I'm stuck with uh, analyzing every word, 
But it's fascinating how walk by the Spirit. Here, by means to be animated by, to be motivated by. As in, animated by. In Him we live and move and have our being. Walking by the Spirit isn't an occasional flirting with the Spirit or occasional dive into a well to, uh, on a hot day. This is being animated by. As in, from the moment I wake up, from the moment that I wake up, uh, it's this idea of being animated by the Spirit. Every action has its source or origin in the Spirit of God. Guys, this is doable. This is doable not by me, not by some one or two people. This is doable by all of us. All of us. Starting with Tate. So, animated by the Spirit, motivated by the Spirit. Another word that you can use is um, abandoned to the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to be abandoned to the Spirit. Abandoned to the Spirit. Given permission by the Spirit. As in, hey, I'm giving you permission to walk by me. To be backed up by the Spirit. To be backed by the Spirit. These are the words that come from that simple two-letter word, by. So begin to express my character. Commune with me. Be animated by me. Be motivated by me. Abandon yourself to me. I back you up fully. I give you permission to walk by me. This is the God of the universe. And when we talk about the Spirit, we have to think of words like zest, space, light, freedom, mountain air. Morning has broken like the first morning, Cat Stevens. I'm just trying to get you to have an idea of what it means to walk by the Spirit. Morning, morning has broken like the first morning. Blackbirds have spoken like the first light. Da, 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 da. It ends with Eden life. The, the point is this, guys. There is this thing of communing and connecting with the Spirit that has the same effect of an early morning dawn breaking through out of nowhere. First light. It is the same sense you have when you go to a place that is untouched by humanity and you can smell the fresh mountain air. I remember going to this tiny village in Switzerland and for whatever reason, woke up at 5 or 5.30, walked through. Uh, you can see the Alps in the background. You walk through it and you smell mountain air and then you smell fresh baked bread. There's a newness to the life of the Spirit that is yours every day to experience. That is what I'm trying to get at. Begin to taste it, because if you don't taste it, you don't know what to run after. Zest. This life is, the, the, the dynamics of a spirit life is a spirit life that is full of zest. Full of space. It's wide open spaces. One of the things God loves giving is broad places. Wide open spaces. Light. Life. Power. Unlimited. Full. Uh, remember these words. Because these words will give you an idea of where you're at and where you need to be. Life. Zest, space, full, unlimited, first light, mountain air, power, life. These are the words that should go with the life of the Spirit of God in us. And then you realize we are living well below our privilege. Questions, comments? Guys, always remember, if we don't show, people won't know. If we don't show, people won't know. I must show so that you can taste and you can then pursue. Wait upon this way of living. Huh? Wait upon it. These things do not happen overnight. But you've got to wait upon it. They that wait upon 
Wait upon it day and night. Day in, day out. Wait upon it. And if you wait upon it, then you won't have to mount up with wings like eagles. The mounting up with wings like eagles, yes, it happens, but it does not happen daily. You got to learn how to wait upon it so that when the mounting up with wings like eagles happens, it's an extra bonus. But you know how to wait upon the spirit and live life, zest, space, unlimited, full power, life, mountain, air, early morning, light, all that you can live on a very mundane, common day. Because most people live there. Mounting up with wings like eagles happens at a conference. What will happen here is habitation will become the norm and manifestation and visitation will only happen during worship conferences or a Sunday where you come together where you're not living from spiritual thrill to spiritual thrill nor are you seeking spiritual thrill after spiritual thrill. You're not seeking highs because you've learned how to circulate at an altitude that in itself is phenomenal. Any questions? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. But who? They that wait upon the Lord. Which is longer? Wait upon the Lord or mounting up with wings like eagles? Waiting. We make mounting up with wings like an eagle a reward for waiting. Waiting is the reward. Selah, waiting is the reward. Because who are we waiting on? Him. The Mount of Transfiguration does not happen every day. But the valley happens every day and you will find yourself with Jesus in the valley. And he may take three of us up the mountain to behold him being transfigured. And he will say to you, do not tell anybody. One of the promises I've had to make God is that Father, when you do things that are pretty amazing or pretty supernatural, I give you my word I won't tell anybody. Because <laughs> that is sometimes the precedent or precedent to having these things happen in your life. Because <laughs> we love blabbing about our experiences. I do. Presence requires waiting. Presence requires waiting as a bridegroom for his bride. Presence requires waiting as a bridegroom for his bride. Full of hope. Waiting for a breakthrough. Presence always sees the fist-sized cloud. Presence sees the fist-sized cloud. Circumstances get frustrated. You live in circumstances, you will get frustrated at delay. You live in presence, you will see the fist-sized cloud miles away. Presence requires waiting as a bridegroom for his bride. Full of hope. Full of excited hope. Full of this sense of breakthrough is around the corner. Full of this sense of I can catch the glimpse of a fist-sized cloud the moment it shows up, even if my servant doesn't. Presence is full of certainty, even though there is nothing to be certain about physically. Presence is full of expectation. Full of expectation. It is impossible. Impossible. I'm sorry I'm getting excited, but I can't help it. It is impossible to be in the presence of God, to know the presence of God, to walk with the presence of God, and not have expectation. It is not possible. I have expectations of you. I walk with you, I expect some things. <sighs> then what is the problem with Christianity then? Is it perhaps that there is an absence of presence and therefore no expectation? Therefore, hardly likely that you'll catch the glimpse of a fist-sized crowd. Therefore, no breakthrough. Therefore, not expectant, excited hope. Therefore, no certainty. And if these things are real, then it will be conveyed through my face, through my words, through my actions. 
It's always conveyed in words, expression, and action. Guys, Adam had presence. Adam had presence. We don't know how long Adam had before he fell, eh? We have no idea. We don't know whether it's um, seven years, seven days, seven weeks. I don't know. But man, he did know the presence of God. The only time I feel bad for Adam is when I think to myself, he knew what it was and then he didn't have it. We don't know what it was. And what we have, we thrill in because it's so amazing. He knew what it was and then he lost it. That must hurt. Adam had presence. In Genesis 3.8, it says that in the cool of the evening, so it was hot even then. It was not like, um, oh, there was no summer, no winter, it was not hot. No, it was hot. So much so that it says in the cool of the evening, God would come down. Perhaps partly because days would start in the evening. In Genesis. But we don't know. Let's assume, for whatever reason, Genesis 3.8, it says, in the cool of the evening, God would come by and he would walk around. Adam had presence. The thing is, the word um, there when it says, and God would come down and walk in the cool of the evening, carries in it habitual divine movement. As in, the way the sentence is phrased, it almost seems like this was a habit that God had cultivated, where this divine movement was habitual. It was something that he used to do on a regular basis. It was not a Genesis 3-8 thing. The very word, it's, the very way the sentence is phrased is, this was habitual for God. Adam had presence. One of the things that happens when presence happens is you get to see certain habits of divine movement. Just, just think of it for a second, where you have gotten so used to God and his presence that you know his habits before they, you, you begin to recognize that there are certain things about God that are predictable. I love it when I can find even one thing about God that is predictable and I'm waiting around the corner and he pretends he doesn't know that I'm there. That's not a concrete enough example. Um, I know sometimes when, this is a very silly example, but I'll give you, I know when I, there's a gift card that is going to expire, I know that I don't need to worry because that day before it expires, someone is going to come and give me the same gift card loaded with more money. And I know it. I know what God is going to do. And before I spend that gift card, someone will come and say, hey, Jacob, just thought of giving you a gift card. It'll be the same gift card with more money in it. And I'll turn to God and I say, see, I knew. It is almost the sense where you know what he's up to because he knows you're a certain type, a certain kind. He, 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 he loves surprising you, but at the same time, he pretends as if he doesn't know what's happening. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? No. Um, yeah. Pardon? You were better off standing in that side of the place. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, waiting and presence are the same thing. It is impossible to have presence without waiting. Presence, presence only happens through waiting. Pardon? I can't hear you. Yeah, you wait for presence, and presence happens because of your waiting. You know, um, I
Yeah, uh, yeah, I understand. Uh, so guys, here's the thing, eh? I already know that I have his presence. But I wait for his presence because in waiting for his presence, I begin to discover more of who he is and what he wants to do. I love waiting for his presence even though I am fully aware that his presence is with me forever. I love waiting on him. It's like a husband waiting for his wife to wake up. He just sits there looking at her. She's not woken up yet. She's there, but he's waiting. Because he knows that the moment that she wakes up, either he's got a surprise for her or she's got something to say to him. It is not an absence of presence that causes my waiting. It is, what do you have that we can do together today, oh God? It is that sense. That song, Behold, I have come over the hills and over the mountains, that is God speaking. I want us to think of presence in terms of a super loving relationship. I want us to think of presence in terms of certain habits of God becoming predictable. I want this to become emotive. I don't want presence to become something out there. This thing involves your heart, your soul, your feelings, your thinking. Sometimes presence becomes clinical. But I want to laugh and cry and leap. I want to see winter disappear and spring come. I want to hear words like fair one, love. Isn't this what happens between two lovers? How can presence be devoid of this? But we are so scared of this because we've, we've gone too far to the other side where we said feelings don't matter, faith comes first. Let's bring it back together because we've dealt with that already. This is why our, our Christianity becomes expressionless. Expressions that don't convey in words, expressions that don't convey on our faces, expressions that don't convey in actions. It is impossible for you to be in love and to have someone's presence and not have all these things come together like an ocean surge, so much so that you cannot separate it. And he would come in the cool of the evening and they would be so looking forward to this. Because he would come and it had become a habit. I had a friend called um, Sharun. His dad was a colonel. His name was Colonel Williams and Sharun was his boy. And he had a younger brother called Varun. And every evening when his dad would come home from work, and this would do something to me inside me. Every evening when the dad would come home from work, the dad would use a different route to come home and the kids had to waylay him. And I would go to their home at times and I would hate the fact that they got to play the game and I didn't get to play the game because it was their dad. And their home was big. If my dad was playing it, our home was small, I would have spotted him a mile away. But this was a large home with a lot of yard. So the dad would hide. He would come through the fence. He would come over the fence. He would come under the uh, uh, Nali uh, canal or whatever. He, yeah, he would do all these little things. And the thing was the kids had to catch him. And something in would be, me would yearn for this. That I wish I could have this. But it was their dad. I just wasn't the same even if I tried it. Because I couldn't go running into his arms and leap into his arms like they did. This is what I mean by habitual divine movement. Where you begin to... The unchanging God who has certain predictabilities now begins to reveal his predictabilities to you. And it is only because he suddenly knows you desire intimacy more than anything else. Adam had presence.
Enoch had presence. Enoch had presence. In Genesis 5.24, if you read the uh, Passion Translation, it says, Enoch would commune with God and then one day he was not. If you read NIV, it says, Enoch walked with God and then one day he was not. The point is that Enoch and God's life, oh, I, I hate it when some things haven't happened to me. Enoch and God's life became seamless. Became seamless. He was walking here on earth with God and then one day he was not walking here on earth with God because God was walking with him somewhere else. Where there's such, where there's such a blending or a melding of presence that you don't even sometimes know. This is what happened to Paul. Let me boast of a man who either in his body or out of his body was drawn up into third heaven and saw visions that he cannot express. This is what happened to Peter. Was sitting waiting for dinner to be cooked and he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a sheet being lowered. This is what is happening to Ezekiel. And the Spirit of God came and caught him by his hair and lifted him up and took him by the shores of the river Chebar. This is what happened to Isaiah. In the year of Uzziah, heaven opened and I saw God fill the temple. Guys, there's so much more. And we must, if we don't do it, you realize that another generation will have to work at this. It just bothers me, man, when I think that if we don't do this, another 50, 60 years go by before someone else will have to try this. And will they make it? And if they don't, what, what then do we do? We keep going back to the Bible and read stories. David had presence, man. Psalm 73, the last verse, verse 28. David had presence. He says that in, in the message version, it says, I'm so glad I have your presence. I feel at home with, with you. And because I have your presence, I see your acts. I see what you do. I see your deeds. And therefore, I will speak it. One of the things with presence, guys, is... Presence leads to, proximity leads to, proclamation or profession. Presence will always lead to proximity, meaning now you are close enough to watch from a ringside seat what is happening as God goes about doing things. And when, when you have that kind of proximity, it is natural for you to proclaim it, to profess it. You don't need a, a moment. It, 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 it's, you, you, your life is full of the stories of God. Some may not even involve you. It's not even your testimony. Yeah. That's specific to Jacob with regard to some of the things that Jacob might be seeing. Yeah. Any questions, guys? Yeah. Uh, awareness is good, but awareness is not the reality of presence. I'll be talking about that a little later. Uh, this is much more than an awareness. I I'll explain that a little. Uh, the way I've written, written it is, um, yeah, from awareness to unflappable reliance, where you know what God is up to. I'll come there. But rephrase your question again. Just ask it one more time, because I jumped the gun. Just say it again. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is being live streamed. I forgot. Is there any difference between the presence that Adam experienced and the presence that we can experience? Adam probably um, saw a form of God that we will not be able to handle because he was uh, sinless and therefore uh, could handle 
God who now lives in unapproachable light who we cannot approach with our mortal bodies. So that is one massive difference. But I'm saying to us that it is possible to rediscover what life in Eden could have been and that it is possible for us to be unfallen Adams in a fallen world, to have that kind of a relationship. Because at the end of the day, everything about God starts with that fundamental block of relationship. Out of that comes everything else. You get that right, you've got everything right. You see Jesus saying that very clearly to Mary when he says to Mary, listen, she's, uh, when he says to Martha, listen, Mary's chosen the good portion. Out of that will come everything else. So if I want to be alert with eyes wide open, waiting on presence of the... This kind of answers both Dano and Diana's questions. If I want to be alert with eyes wide open, waiting, for the, waiting on the presence of God or waiting on the Spirit, these are some of the things that I must do. Because these always get in the way. Oh man. Thanks for the Oculus Quest. It is nuts. Jeevan tried it on yesterday. And he started running. And he took off the helmet and said, I can't, I can't, he's beating me up, he's beating me up, and he ran. I've got the video of that, but unfortunately, I can't show you because he's got a video of mine dancing. So, one cancels the other out. So, if I want to be alert with eyes wide open for the presence of the Spirit, if I want to be alert with wide, eyes wide open, waiting, waiting on presence, then here, here are some things that get in the way that I must demolish, and I'm so excited about working this into my life. The first thing I should do is I should depend heavily on him in the areas of my strength. Depend heavily on him in the areas of my strength. This is critical, uh, and I'm putting this down in order of priority. If you want to cultivate presence, if you want to wait on presence of God, which is already there, you have to depend heavily on him in the areas of your strength. Because that is where we do not depend on him, and that is what consumes 60 to 70% of our lives. Most of the things we do are the things that we are good at and 70% of our life is consumed in the things that we are good at and so there is no need or awareness of presence because we are good at it and therefore it's absolutely important that in the things that I'm good at, like teaching, like prophesying, like some of the other things I do, that I depend heavily in those areas on Him. And if I do, I will cultivate presence and people around me will benefit. Two. Depend on him in areas I have learned to cope, manage, tolerate, bear. There are areas in my life where I have learned how to tolerate things. I'm not talking about something evil. I've learned how to tolerate things. I've learned how to tolerate and bear things. I've learned how to manage things. I've developed um, excellent coping mechanisms to deal with it. And in these areas, uh, it's just too much work depending on his presence because I have learned it and I can go into default mode at, at, at the drop of a hat and take care of these areas. I have to lean heavily, become super dependent on him. Because these are the things that eat away at the hours of a day. And so then what we deal with is the absolutely helpless areas only. And those are limited. And those come once every while. What about the rest of the time? 
should I repeat anything, Jillian? No? Okay. Third, depend on him heavily in areas of reluctance and fear. Depend on him heavily in areas of reluctance and fear. This is not the fear that makes you helpless. This is the fear that discourages you. It's not the helpless kind of fear. The helpless kind of fear, Christians know how to run to God. God is my refuge and God is my rock and ever-present help in trouble. No, it's not that kind of fear. It is the kind of fear that... Uh, just avoid it. Just forget it. And reluctance. Reluctance that might come out of sometimes sheer laziness. I'm talking about myself. Uh, or reluctance that comes out of, I don't want to face this person. Or I don't want to face this circumstance. Depend on him heavily in areas of reluctance and fear. This is how presence becomes real. It envelopes your life. Now you get to dive into the well. Because this is the only place you can live in if you start living like this. And then the last one is depend on him. And this is, this is where we not, we always start at number four and hardly make it to number one. Depend on him in areas of inadequacy and weakness. This we do. And it is right to do it. But we usually start here and we may make it to here on a very charismatic day. But we don't make it past that. Any questions? Any questions? Okay. There are two outcomes when you come to li start living like this. There are two outcomes when you start living like this. First outcome is the reality of presence. The reality of presence. May I suggest to you that for most of us, me included, the reality of presence is not 24-7. The huge advantage that I have over you is that the job I do forces me into this situation. For you, it'll be slightly harder because the job you do sometimes does not require that kind of dependence. So you'll have to work a little harder. The reality of presence, two outcomes, reality of presence, and then the second outcome is the regressing of self, the regressing of self-life. Where as the presence of God increases, your, your self-centered life decreases. It's just natural. People say you don't even need the Holy Spirit for that. You just need to get married. But, gosh, that didn't get a single laugh. Huh? That was, must have been really bad. Okay. Prashant, why are you laughing? <laughs> Two outcomes, reality of presence and regressing yourself. Guys, the reality of his presence has to be something that you wrap your heart and head around. It is not enough to wrap our spirits around it. It's not enough to wrap our heads around it. I must wrap my heart, head, and spirit around the reality of the presence of God. It must be this continuous interaction with someone who is more real than even people who are flesh and blood. It has to be absolutely real. It has to be in and out. I must wrap my head, my heart, and my spirit around the reality of the presence of God if I want to dive into the well of the Spirit within me so that I can begin to have the mind of Christ and I can begin to rediscover what Eden life looks like.
Engage him at every level. Ask yourself this question. Where are you most deficient? Is it spirit to spirit? Is it heart? Is it mind? Understanding is not limited to mind. It's a horrible thing when people say they understand but they feel nothing in their heart. That's not real understanding. Will you try this? Because you will, you will need to spend time to do this. It has to be a daily practice. Remember, you're only doing partly, you're only partly doing it for yourself. Michael laughed at home. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, at least some people on live stream are laughing. Um, you got to do it. I hope Acts 29 always remembers this, or anybody listening always remembers this, that you are doing things to get better, not just for your sake, not just for Christ's sake, but for the sake of others, because taste and see. If they do not taste, they do not know what they're missing out on. Everything has to be like that. You, have, you will be rewarded. I bet there's a crown for legacy left. got to leave something for future generations. Otherwise, the amount of work they'll have to do is just crazy, man. Imagine this. I'm blooming 55 and I'm discovering this now. What if I discovered this at 25? Two, once you begin to decide that you will wrap your head and heart around the reality of his presence, then you can begin to trust the reality of his presence. Trust the reality of his presence. You can begin to trust the reality of his presence. So you go from awareness to unflappable reliance, and I'll explain it. See, when, when this becomes the method of operation where our hearts, our heads, and our spirits are wrapped around the presence of God, then you begin to trust the reality of God's presence and you begin to sleep in the boat in the middle of a storm. You are absolutely certain of the presence of God with you. And the things you pray for seem to always be for others, other situations, situations outside of you because you are fully taken care of, because you find yourself always in the well of the Spirit, very conscious of the reality of His presence. And now in a storm, you can lay your head on a pillow and go to sleep because presence does something to rest. You see this with children. The same child that cannot sleep will suddenly find you coming, will put his or her head on your chest and fall off to sleep in a second because presence brings rest. Despite collapsing structures, despite lack of support, you come into this place where there's absolute rest in your heart. Psalm 46 verse 1 and 2 where it talks about be still. Even though the mountains crumble, even though the earth shakes, why is it that he can be still? It's a great verse to say, be still and know that he is God. It's not enough to know that he is God. It is, you know, what he, David is saying there is, man, I know your presence. So what if the mountains crumble? So what if the earth shakes? I know your presence. And if your presence is here, I know what happens out of it. You quicken everything. God quickens everything within his radius. I was praying for a man earlier today with Betty and uh, the person had a shoulder that had tendons and ligaments torn, wrist, tendons and ligaments torn, can't lift his hand beyond 30 degrees and uh, uh, prayed with absolute confidence knowing that God is going to do something. Asked him to raise his hand and it still remained at 30. 
But there was such certainty in my heart that this man cannot be the same because I come with the quickening presence of God and this man cannot be the same. I saw him go without his hand moving more than 30 degrees. And I thought to myself, Father, this is what it means to be happy and confident in you. Because usually there's always this streak of disappointment or, ah, shucks, I wish it had happened immediately. Or, man, why doesn't it happen immediately? Or, how long should I wait? And I'm watching him going and I was so happy that perhaps for the first or second time in my life, I was so sure and confident of what God will do. As the reality of his presence, oh, I love this one. Love this one. As the reality of his presence in your life increases, you will know his restraint when you are meandering out out of his will. When the reality of his presence increases in your life, you will know an odd restraint when you are meandering out of his will. You'll just, you'll just know it. You'll just know, ah, shucks, there's something here, oh God, that isn't aligning with your heart, with, isn't aligning with your spirit, isn't aligning with your head. I just don't know what it is, but I'm going to stop immediately. This isn't the path you want me to take. And what then happens is, very, you, you'll find yourself not as frequently asking God for his will or finding yourself in the valley of decision not knowing what to do. Because you now begin to operate in the freedom and the permission of God with restraint that comes when you are out of sorts with him. When you meander a little off, you'll feel it. This happens with spouses in love. They know when the other spouse is not connecting, when the other spouse is off, when the other spouse isn't totally into it. They know words don't have to be conveyed. It's not, honey, do you think this is right? No, it's like, honey, she doesn't think it's right. I'm trying to practice this third point a lot, eh? Where uh, (laughs) it's almost a sense of permission or restraint. And I pray, God, that over the next few years it becomes something that I get good at. It'll be fun. Jesus lived like this. You live like this, guys, and it'll free you to be led by the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week. Live like this, walk like this, and it'll free you to be led by the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week. The second part was regressing of self as you begin to increase in uh, um, the reality of the presence of God. You will begin to abandon the cravings of self-life. We'll just abandon it. It's no the 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 diminishing rule of what's it? Diminishing returns or something? Diminishing law of diminishing returns. I don't know what it is, but I just thought I'll throw that in. It is this sense where eh, it's not worth throwing away what I have for the cravings of the life that I used to have. It is as you begin to abandon yourself to God, you begin to abandon the ways you used to walk. You won't feed the compulsions of self. You'll change your habits. You'll change your diet. You won't feed the compulsions of self. Guys, one of the easiest ways to walk right is to have a greater um, connection with the presence of God or basically uh, love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. It isn't that difficult. It is possible. You do not do what your old nature wants because your new new nature has become your default. You do not do what your old nature wants because your new nature has become your default. And should you catch yourself doing something that your old nature used to do, you think to yourself, this just doesn't fit with Jacob. Living the sinful old self life makes you feel nauseous because God and God life have become so precious to you that to eat that crap makes you want to throw up. 
and I meant all those words in that order. Any questions? Please go practice this. Yeah? It's possible, guys. My greatest uh, comfort when I preach uh, or when I teach at Acts 29 is I really believe Acts 29 can do this. You have no idea how comforting that is. That we can do this. That this is not a great sermon that will be listened somewhere else and someone else will do it. We'll do it. Yeah? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we marvel at you. We marvel at you. How do you come up every week with things about you and convey to us in ways that we are able to now put into practice? It's amazing what you do, Holy Spirit. I'm not flattering you, Spirit of God. Nothing can happen in our lives unless you take it and make it a certain way and make it fit. And so we are grateful to you. We just thank you so much. You love change, don't you, Holy Spirit? You love change. Some of the things you really like, quickening. You like entering situations and quickening things that are dying, dead, decaying, warped, distorted. You have this ability to come and quicken it. Like, please don't mind this comparison, Holy Spirit. It's like when Thor takes his hammer and puts it down, and then there's a sudden ding, 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 and the whole place gets like cleared. It's that kind of thing. That's one thing you like. The second thing you like is changing us. You love changing us. And why? Because you absolutely adore the Son and you love making us like Him. Like Graham Cook once said, you think you have the best job in the Godhead. And the third thing you love doing is you love connecting my heart to my Father. You get me to a place where I can say, I'm my Father's son. Ah. You know, it's one of those nights where we could stay, just listen to you, Spirit of God. So we're just going to take two minutes and listen to you, and then we'll end. Don't listen to hear him say something. Listen to know him and know his presence. That's all I meant by listening. And if that provokes something in you, then you can express it. <laughs>